Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me, as always, is my co-host and resident fairy godfather, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you doing? You know, I'm swell. Hey, this is like our last episode for season one. I can't believe we've done 20. It's crazy, but but we started this back in April. Um, yeah. We've done 20 episodes. 20 episodes a season is pretty great. Um, I'm very excited for season two, though. The conversations we've been having about what we'll have I there. I know. I'm excited, too. Yay. Well, why did we decide to round out our first season with 1950s Cinderella? I mean, we didn't actually have this conversation, Andy, but I think, (laughs) like, we both knew we had to end with Cinderella. Cinderella, to me, of all the Disney movies, feels, I don't mean this in an insulting way, but it feels like the vanilla ice cream of of Disney movies. Like, Mm -hmm. every princess movie gets compared to Cinderella. It's, It's the mythology of Cinderella is the underlining story of almost every princess tale. Like, yeah, yeah, the anatomy of it. And then, like, you look at Cinderella and then you change your story so that it's not Cinderella, but you almost always start with Cinderella. Right. There has to be some injustice. There's some sort of something that isn't going right for this princess for her journey. And and Cinderella certainly has that. Make sure Um, she's an underdog. Make sure that's right. Yeah. Like, the the given circumstances. So it, it almost provides, like, the blueprint for all subsequent Disney movies to me for, for, or, or princess related movies. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. So also, I mean, I think in thinking of this as a screenwriter and somebody who, you know, you and I both have worked on projects and tried to get things out the door and gotten discouraged and, you know, back and forth and, you know, have some successes and then some abject failures and then things work and then things don't. I think this movie for me is inspirational um, in terms of this is the movie that everybody went all in on uh, at Disney Studios to make sure that their 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 company was going to make it. So, so there's a few key facts that I think help set the stage for this story. So in 1950, Walt Disney had not made a full length animated feature film since Bambi uh, back in 1942. So there are a number of package movies that were ma- uh, made during the war years, uh, the World War II. So Saludos Amigos, The Three Caballeros, um, Make Mine Music, Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time, and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And those package films are, you know, three to five shorts. I think Ichabod and Mr. Toad are really two yes. shorts. But they're easy to put to- they're easier to put together than a full-length feature. And they but they're just sort of almost like cartoons that are strung together. They're not they don't have a full narrative body to them. And partially that's because during the war, the Disney studios were making training films for the U.S. government because that was bread and butter. That was money. And if you want to take a look, if, if our audience wants to take a look at a film that echoes a few of those, I mean, you can Google them, but um, you might take a look at Victory Through Air Power. It's um, not a U.S. government commission per se, but it definitely has... Um, it's a lot easier to watch than some of the propaganda films that were being made, for sure. It, it had been 13 years, really, since Snow White, you know, gave that big wow factor to audiences. And as anybody knows, like a, a fledgling studio is only really as good as its last picture. So Walt decides to return to the reliable genre of the fairy tale with the mission of an interesting supporting cast 
art and unforgettable music. And Cinderella is really well received. Critics and filmmakers called it Disney's masterpiece to date. Um, and there were a couple of, of critics that didn't love it. Uh, Variety magazine gave it a, quite a beating, actually, uh, claiming that, quote, the film has more success in projecting the lower animals than in its central character, Cinderella, who is on the colorless doll face side, as is, as is the Prince Charming. So, and the critics also claimed that the mice emerge as the most memorable characters in the cartoon, and they call it a cartoon. They don't call it a feature film. I mean, some of that is fair and some of that is not, I think. Okay. I, I agree. Agree. But the box office, really, the box office from Cinderella plus the merchandising gives Disney the opportunity to finance many more productions to really start a distribution company of his own as opposed to relying on RKO and then to start television programming and then also to begin building Disneyland. And so Cinderella is the movie that really helps the company turn a fiscal corner. Um, so it, it gives me hope. It's like, it's truly a Cinderella story, right? It's like, if you're a writer and you're working on a project and, you know, you're having some hits, you're having some losses, you know, the dizzying highs, the crushing lows, you know, there's, there's this moment where if you just keep doing the work, good things happen. Yeah. And um, at least I hope that's true. <laughs> No, I I think that's fair. Uh, I think that's a fair takeaway from this. Uh, that being that being said, um, you know, look, this movie is a success, and to critique it, we we do need to keep in mind that it's a success. There are some glaring flaws in this movie, to be sure. I think maybe you disagree, Andy, but. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to hear what your glaring flaws are. I'm, I'm interested to hear it. Well, so I want to start with the Manish Tana a little bit. Uh, and sure. we always talk about the Manish Tana. Uh, it's, it's why is this night different from all other nights? Why do we start the movie where we start the movie? And I want to spend a little more time here than we usually do. We start the movie with this storybook opening, right? As many Disney movies do. Uh, we see a little bit of Cinderella and her father, very little. We see young, young uh, Anas uh, Drizella and, and Anastasia. We see Lady Tremaine holding a young Lucifer. And then we move forward to the future where Cinderella's sleeping and the birds come in to wake her up. Right. So why do we start the movie here? Why is this the place where our movie begins? And I want to throw out to you, Andy, that a lot of the times I'm asking the question, why rhetorically? So we can explain it. But this time, I'm asking the question, why? <laughs> why are we starting the movie here? Well, it is tough because that whole uh, narration is really this opening exposition. And it's pretty faithful to the opener. I don't know if you've read the Charles Perrault story from which Cinderella is adapted. It's pretty faithful to that opener. So, um, but I, I, with you, I think the decision may not have been the right one um, because we just, we don't, I mean, you can start the movie at the moment where she's in bed and you really don't miss anything. You still get, you know, this opening um, that the stepmother is an evil person, that Lucifer's pretty terrible, and that this woman is abused and really being treated poorly. We don't really know the relationship that she's a daughter. 
She seems more like a chambermaid, maybe. We're not really sure. I, I mean, I don't think you can really get there that she's a sister or stepsister. Um, but, and maybe they need it for that reason. But I, again, when I look at openers, I always think, okay, what do we gain from this? I, we know who the good guys and bad guys are from the get-go, right? Sure. We know there's con- no ambiguity. We know there's conflict. Yeah, no moral ambiguity at all. There's audience empathy for somebody that's built in because of the narration told us to be empathetic, right? And we know that there's conflict and injustice. But the thing that we lose is discovery. We're being told what it is. And I just I just don't think the opening narration is really necessary for this to work. A, a few episodes ago, you had made the point in Freaky Friday that that movie opens with uh, the young girl, her alarm clock goes off, and you said it's the same opening. You said this is not a good way to open up your movie. It's the no. most cliched way to open something up. And look, Cinderella is nothing if not cliched. Uh, right. But but we're opening we're opening our movie on the least interesting action, the act of waking up. And I know thematically this movie is about dreams. I get that the birds waking her up is going to be a call and response to the clock striking 12 later on, that she's being awakened from one dream here, and then she's being awakened from another dream then. I, I get all that. Here's my pitch to you, Andy. Okay. All right. Okay. This movie does not have enough meat on the bones in the Cinderella story, right? That's why we spend right. so much time with the mice and the cat and the Tom and Jerry of it all. Right. I think the problem is the point of attack where we open is too close to all of the st- to, to to the rest of the story that we need to actually start sooner. And I think that extended opening should be we meet young Cinderella just like we might meet young Simba. We spend some time with Cinderella and her father. When we meet Lady Tremaine and the stepsisters they, the, those women are putting on a front. They are pretending to be sweet. The stepsisters pretend to be her friend. Lady Tremaine steps into the role of being a mother to Cinderella. And then her father dies and the masks fall. And I want to see that moment where Cinderella realizes she's been tricked. Her father was tricked. Mm-hmm. These women, mm-hmm. These women are monsters and she is now their slave. And then well, we can, a- and then we can flash forward to where we are, right? You know, you could even do that almost as if that opening sequence was all a dream. Cinderella was was dreaming it, although she wakes up from a happy dream. So as I'm saying that, that doesn't work. But right. but why why not make more of a more of a story about the relationship between our heroine and her enemies? See how mm-hmm. it all gets started. Yeah. And it's just the genesis of that. We're missing that, aren't we? Right. And how early was Lady Tremaine threatened by Cinderella? What Mm. it can't just be that she's pretty. It has to it has to be about Cinderella outshining her own children, although she should think of Cinderella as her own child, because that's Mm -hmm. that's what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, if you make more of a meal of all of that. I think the payoffs in the movie would be greater. Plus, we get the bonus of kids. 
Mm-hmm. It's easy to identify with Cinderella when she's a little girl. Now, mm-hmm. now, obviously, I'm thinking modern sensibilities. And again, Cinderella, as you pointed out, was a big hit. Right. But I think I think the Manish Tana, I think the point of attack is weak. And it sets the I... movie off on the wrong foot. As, slipper foot, as, as you want. <laughs> I, I see what you did there. Yes. Um, I think it's brilliant to think of the Lion King as an alternative opening. You mentioned Simba briefly. Um, if instead of telling us what happened to Cinderella, we show something similar to the relationship between Simba and his father and Scar, right? How did, uh, literally the genesis, how did things get to be the way they are? And then it, what that does is it raises the stakes automatically because we know, we see the injustice and not only do we see it because we're told it, we see it because we feel it. We've walked through this injustice and we've wanted to reach through the screen and rescue her ourselves. And we haven't had that opportunity. And so I think that, I think that's what we're, and again, I think maybe it's a function of filmmaking, the difference between 1950 and, and, you know, 2021, but, you know, I think, and it also, in thinking about The Lion King, we can see a progression in Disney storytelling. They stop, they really do stop showing or stop telling. They really do start showing. And so I think that's, that's part of, part of a function of filmmaking and kind of how we were doing movies in 1950 versus how we're doing them now. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I completely 100% agree with you. Well, there we because, go. But, but without this opening, we might start thinking that this story is about Gus and Jack. <laughs> in fact, this movie is about Gus and Jack. <laughs> it really I, is. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it, but, but it right, is. Right, right. Uh, they don't. They don't give Cinderella enough space in this movie, and this is the right. way of getting her that space, so that the movie deserves to be called Cinderella. Well, she comes off as pretty passive, doesn't she? Yes. And so, with because we've just told you what her life is like, we we don't really see her doing much. I mean, she's scrubbing and she's doing things, and she's. I mean, she has moments where she interfaces with like you know, Bruno about Lucifer and says it's bad to do that. And, and she's, you know, but we really don't get to see like anger or like she's on a journey, but she's on a journey that's propelled by other people. She's a little sassy. Yeah. She gives some sass, but not a lot, not enough. No, not enough. Yeah. I I think I want to see her to be more. um, The hero of her story. Yes. There you go. And she's not. I mean, I want her to go on a heroine's journey. Right. Exactly. And, and she's not. Exactly. And she doesn't. And she doesn't learn anything. And she doesn't change and grow. Right. Um, I mean, we'll get into it when we talk about her as a character. <laughs> and, and by the way, side note, I love this movie. And we'll watch it again tonight if my daughters were like, hey, let's watch this. And I'd watch, watch it again. this movie again, too. This is not my last viewing of Cinderella. I'm just, <laughs> right. I'm just saying, you know when we're talking about the screenwriting and we're talking about how we mm-hmm. would approach it today, right. this script would never get made today. The same way that when we talked about Sleeping Beauty, Sleeping Beauty would never get made that way today. It's just... Well, and I'm not sure there's a Cinderella script either in Here. the traditional sense. Yeah. yeah, because it's like, it's the same thing. 
Disney tells the story in much the same way he did Snow White. And all the animators and art directors go, okay, you take this piece and you take this piece and you take this piece. And they're all creating their own space, you know, own stories. And then they put them all together and hope they weave together pretty well. Right. Um, you know, so so it does feel a little disjointed, less disjointed than Snow White. Yes. Right. Um, less like we don't spend, we don't have just hours where we're spending watching dwarves do things for no apparent reason. Yes. We don't have that. We don't have that. But um, yeah. um, Look, look, there are are steps being taken in the storytelling process in terms of developing a process, but you're right. There Mm -hmm. was no screenplay per se. Right. There was storyboarding maybe. But it oh, was definitely storyboarding. Improvisational yeah, storyboarding, almost certainly. Sure. Shall, sure. shall we talk about the structure or or what there is of the structure? Let's do it. Let's do it. So exposition we've kind of talked about, except um, I think the exposition just keeps on going in this movie. For a very long time. For a very yes. long time. And <laughs> and so, yes, all of the storybook stuff is exposition. And when the storybook uh-huh. closes, we feel like, okay, the exposition has ended and the movie should get started. But no, it does not. <laughs> it does not. Because we're waiting for something called the inciting incident. Right. And the inciting incident is the moment where everything changes for our characters. Right. And Andy, what would you say the inciting incident of this movie is? Well, I think it comes kind of late. There's a knock at the door and there's going to be a ball. Right. And that is more than a half hour into the movie. I know. I mean, it's almost like the first act of this film is really exposition. It is exposition unless you take the perspective that the thing that has changed Everything in this house is there is a new strange mouse in the house named Gus. Right. A stranger came to town, right? Right. Like, that is what has changed everything today. It's why there's going to be some mischief with the cups. It's why mm-hmm. it's it's why there's going to be some issues with Lucifer, because Gus is going to screw things up and be greedy. That, that you could really... Look, it's not the answer. But no. the movie, for the first half hour goes with it as if it's the answer. This new mouse has changed the lives of Cinderella and the family, and the ripple effects of the new mouse in the house is is what we're watching in the first half hour. So there I did is not pay my ticket for that. No, no. There is this parallelism, right? There, there, We have two rags-to-riches stories going on here. One is Cinderella, but one is Gus. Yes. And they, bo- they both start out as servants. They're both tormented by antagonists. They're both transformed by a fairy godmother. They both face overwhelming odds to get their justice. And they both end up at the castle in the end, you know, satisfied getting the dream their dreams met. Cinderella gets the man of her dreams, and Gus gets unlimited corn, right? Um, so, and a nice outfit. So uh, that's, that's kind of, um, Gus is almost foreshadowing what's happening with Cinderella in a lot of ways. Cinderella is the fairy godmother to Gus. Absolutely. 100%. Which makes it karmic then when she gets transformed, she gets transformed by her own fairy godmother. Um, but yeah, it, 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 the structure, when you start looking at the parallelism is like, we'll spend time with Cinderella. We'll spend time with Gus. We spend time over here and they sort of, the stories sort of feed each other, but they also sort of seem a little disjointed. 
Yeah. At the same time. No, I'm, I agree with you. So, so putting that your answer is the correct answer. The inciting incident comes a Thank half you. hour into the movie. <laughs> we you. have rising action. And, and right. We could say the inciting incident is even further than that. We could say the fairy godmother intervening is inciting incident. I don't think it is. No. I think your answer is the no. best answer. Um, yeah. Rising action. Cinderella makes a deal with her stepmother. She does the chores. Mm. Uh, the mice go- make her dress. The dress gets ripped. Um, she goes out to the pumpkin patch. The fairy godmother comes. There's some bippity boppity boo. Which it feels like a climax. It feels like a... a yeah, like okay, if that happened, maybe that would be it, and then she would have this moment at the ball. But it's but not then, the climax. It's a it's a false it's climax. What it's would you say climax. the climax of the movie is? I think when Cinderella pulls out that second glass slipper, it's it's the whole shoe sequence. It's the, oh. we always talk about how the climax is where the movie feels like the stakes are the highest, and if mm-hmm. Anastasia or uh, Drizella can get that shoe on their foot, it's over. If Cinderella right. doesn't come down and, and get her shoe on that foot, it's over. And that mm-hmm. whole sequence, and it's an extended climax, is is the climax of this movie. We get very little falling action after that. You know, cin- cin- like we know, Cinderella goes into the coach, she meets the prince, they get married, uh, the mice cheer. That that all right, takes place exactly. in about 15 seconds. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, the thing that works for this movie, I think the thing and the and the reason I think I love it so much is the climax sequence. Yes. Um there is there is a it is a masterclass in building tension. Well, um if, if I may, my youngest son when we're watching it, he turns to me and he says <laughs> he says I know Cinderella's going to end up with the prince, prince, but I'm so stressed out right now. <laughs> it's very stressful because of that great tension. And it's so, it's, you know, it's that, it's the final act, you know, where she's locked away from the opportunity of trying on the glass slipper. And at every turn, at every attempt to fix this problem, whether it's to get the key, to get the key up the stairs, to ha- get the key under the, you know, the the door. At every attempt, there is a block. It's great. We want it is we the want best justice. crafted part of this movie. Absolutely. We want justice and we want relief and we just aren't getting it. And when I think about Cinderella and I think about watching this movie, this is where I come. Is she going to put the glass slipper? Is she going to? And then the glass slipper breaks. And, and that we is are, fantastic. You know what that reminds me of, Andy? What's in that? Toy Story. Where we, yes. we know that there's this match. And we know that, you know, like like this whole time that match is sitting there. And we know it's the solution. And Woody finally comes up with the solution with the problem. He's going to light the match. And then a wind comes by and blows the match out. It is not the solution. And we've right. been waiting for her to put that slipper on her foot. And, right. and all of the obstacles were ready for it to be over. And Lady Tremaine sticks out her foot, trips, the glass breaks, and and it's beautiful. Because we're not anticipating that. It's that one no. final obstacle when all the other obstacles have been cleared that that repel that. Oh, it's such, it is a great sequence. It's super. And then we don't know. The thing, you know, there's a lot of, of dramatic irony in this movie but when Cinderella pulls out that second glass slipper, we didn't, we weren't, we weren't anticipating that, that bit of magic, right? Right. 
We finally get the justice and the relief that we've been craving for the past, oh, 25 minutes. Yeah. So how do you think this movie compares to the first um, Disney princess film, Snow White? Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's some obvious parallels. Uh, both both Snow White and Cinderella have evil stepmothers who enslave them. Mm-hmm. Um, right. the, the difference here, I guess, is the stakes are higher in Snow White. Cinderella's life is never in danger in this movie. Right. And Snow White is snow white like Mm. like that that evil queen pretty early tells the huntsman to go cut that heart out of snow white and it ratchets up the stakes to the point that that snow white is propelled such as it is to flee into the woods to meet the seven dwarfs but she goes she goes on a journey right right cinderella the stakes never get to the point where she goes on a journey Mm. she doesn't have an adventure she goes to a dance. And she's not the agent that gets herself to that dance. It's Providence that gets her to that dance. Right. 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 So with Providence rewarding her for her good deeds. Sure. Right? Sure. Her her yeah. kindness, her goodness. I'm not saying it's an unearned mm-hmm. Providence. Right. But it's not in terms of storytelling. It she doesn't actively pursue Providence. It happens. Right. It's interesting to think about um, magic, too, in Snow White and Cinderella. And I wonder if it's because of the fam- the need for a family audience. Um, children, And, you know, before World War II, people had been traumatized pretty well by World War II. And so there was, it was, Snow White was a lot scarier. I wonder if the stakes are lower in Cinderella because the country's already been through a lot. And the world's already been through a lot. And it's like, can we, ma- the magic isn't evil in Cinderella. No. It's used for good, right? Um, there's no magic that's being used for evil at all. Lady Tremaine and is not a supernatural villain. She is. She's not is, a supernatural. There no. are real Lady Tremaines out there in the world. Yeah. And she's beatable. Yes. Right. And Providence is on our side and Providence is going to help us beat the, la- the Lady Tremaines of the world. So I wonder, I wonder if that kind of mentality is part and again they've been making a lot of war films right they've been a lot of propaganda films against some of the things that were going on in the war i'm just curious if there's some carryover there just mindset wise i'm gonna i don't want to go too far into biblical stuff here andy but i would make the argument that the story of cinderella is the story of job you endure endure Ah, hardship And then eventually, because you do not renounce your goodness in, in enduring the hardship, that eventually the reward will come. The reward is deferred, even though you've had years of misery. And I, right. I do think that's what we're seeing here in Cinderella. There's the going around and the coming around, for sure. For sure. Um, and one other thing that I wanted to talk about is there are fewer extraneous characters. Seven dwarfs are replaced by two mice. You, you know, mean, I you fired have a couple four of, of the dwarfs. There were too many. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I agree. I mean, so, so, I mean, there are the the other, there are a couple other mice, but we don't even really know their names. No. And, you know, and they have a couple birds, but, you know, they have animal helper, helper friends. Um, Cinderella's are, you know, are really more actively involved with her than Snow White's are. Um, 
it seems like they have more of a, a, an ongoing relationship. But that may just be the nature of the story, too. Yes. And of course, both both of these get their prints in the end. And we don't really know a lot about either prints, except for we want it to happen, right? I don't even know that I do. <laughs> I'll tell you why a little bit later on. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's get into characters. Um, let's talk about Cinderella. Uh, we're not going to start with the main character? Okay. I guess we'll start with <laughs> side character Cinderella. If you want to go, I, I usually start with the protagonist. Well, her name's, her name's on the box. I guess. Her name's on the marquee, that right? That is true. I would say... I would say box, like we're at Blockbuster or something, which may may uh, betray my age a bit. But anyway, Cinderella, what do we think? So I was surprised, pleasantly so, that Cinderella was a little sassier than I had remembered her as being. Uh, mm-hmm. In my mind, she was she was always sweet and unassuming and demure and and took all of the abuse with gentle good humor. But but she gives a little bit here. Like, like, like she, she needles Lucifer a bit. Mm-hmm. There's that bit. She's like, even Lucifer has something good about him. Like, <laughs> and she can't think of a thing. Think of anything. <laughs> she, she like... rolls her eyes a little bit at her stepsisters. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate some sass. I do. Mm-hmm. That I do being said, she is passive, passive, passive. And yeah. and not particularly interesting. Oh, I mean, is she? I don't know. I think I think she's interesting. I think it's. I think um, my favorite sass moment is when the stepsisters are upstairs having their music lesson, and Cinderella is obviously more talented than them, and she has this kind of a cutting line like like whatever's going on up there. <laughs> you know, this music, music lesson, whatever, whatever that is, whatever that is, right? And it's just so, it's just this cut. But um, but she really does care for these little mice and she takes care of them and Shames in a them way, for their nudity, I guess. Right. <laughs> she's offended by way, their naughty bits. I don't understand. Uh, but she's caring for them in a way that she's not been cared for. Yes. And I think that, I think that is... Uh, the thing that makes it so um, beautiful because she wants something desperately to be true. She wants a dream to come true. She's missing her father. Um, although, you know, and, and we see her in those opening uh, slides where she's grieving her dad as a child. And, um, and yet she's, you know, she's, She's still, she's abused and neglected, and and at the same time, she keeps her, you know, she she's not, she's resigned to it, but she's not, uh, she still dreams. She definitely has more personality than Briar Rose, or, or Aurora, Princess Aurora from Sleeping Beauty. Oh, 100%. Um, and, and is definitely more, more of a protagonist than, than Sleeping Beauty is. Like, she, mm-hmm. she, she does more, but I think that speaks to how very little Sleeping Beauty does in her own movie that I'm looking right. at Cinderella and saying, well, Cinderella's a better protagonist than that. Right, right. One neat thing I noticed in this viewing of the movie that I've never noticed before, What's Cinderella that? is constantly losing her slipper as she's going as she's going up the stairs. They set that uh, up 
as she's bringing breakfast to the stepsisters, her her foot falls out of her shoe and she has to go back down for it. Um, and I yeah, that's just a, that's just like a little bitty moment, little bitty motive moment, and and um, it's set up. It's set up. It's going to yeah. pay off later. Plant and pay off. Uh, yeah. I never noticed it. It foreshadows. It's nice. It's a nice little beat. But the fact that what, what I'm talking about right now is how she walks upstairs instead of her character should be telling us something. <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. Well, let's talk about uh, Jack and Gus, the real heroes of the story. I mean, they are the protagonists, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack. They have a lot to... Jack saves Gus. Jack this cage. grows and changes over the mm-hmm, course of the mm-hmm. movie, more than Cinderella does. Cinderella has a change in circumstances. Uh, Jack lives in fear of Lucifer. We mm-hmm. see that from the beginning. Uh, at, at the beginning, that when, when Gus is in danger from Lucifer, Jack is terrified. He, he tries to help, but it, it's, it's a scary sequence for him. And at the end, when Cinderella is in danger and they need to get that key... Jack starts the attack on Lucifer. It's no mm-hmm. more mouse of eating cat. Now the, the <laughs> mice are actively engaging with their enemy, and he inspires an army of mice to ineffectually attack the cat, and then the birds come in and save the day. But still, it's a hero's journey for Jack. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, I agree with you. I think, and I of course, I love the the Cinderella and Cinderella is how, how and, and how incensed they're so incensed about what's happening to her because she does do things like let Gus out of the cage and give him what he needs. And she is their she is their fairy godmother, as you said earlier. And so they want to protect her. And they're they're loyal to her. They're sort of her subjects in this little kingdom, right? Yeah. They just and so they deserve yeah and they want yeah, and they want they want to see good things happen for her, and and you know I mean they're mice so they don't have huge long lives so maybe they maybe they knew father maybe not but um, but they can definitely all all the animals in this movie see the um, the sadness that's going on and and the abuse that's being perpetrated in my role as jerk of the podcast I do feel yes. I need to I do feel I need to point out. If I found out that my daughter was actively encouraging the mouse population in my house to multiply, <laughs> was giving them clothes, therefore decreasing probably the property value of the house and causing all, all sorts of mouse droppings to be everywhere, I if that was Lady Tremaine's grievance with Cinderella, mm. I get it. Yeah, you know, Larry, you're reminding me of a story when we caught a mouse uh, in our farmhouse years ago, and uh, I, I I paid dearly for that. So let's move on to Lady Tremaine, <laughs> who I think is one of the best Disney villains. She's great. Um, she is. She's she's a gold digger, and she's training her daughters to sort of be the same same kind of person. And and last night when we were watching this as a family, one of my daughters was like, "Do you think she killed her husband?" It's ambiguous. Because she may it well is, have. isn't it? She's I know. subtle. I mean that that's oh. her her most villainous moments are when she is nice to Cinderella, not when she's oh yeah cool. when she goes oh, over to Cinderella. I said if <laughs> when she goes over to Cinderella and compliments the pearls, she knows mm-hmm. darn well that Drizella <laughs> is going to figure it out. She doesn't do it. 
She doesn't sick her daughters on Cinderella. She doesn't. She doesn't whistle. She just draws attention to the to to the to the necklace, and Drizella does the rest. She doesn't need to. She's charming. You get how, unlike her daughters, she might have been able to fool someone into thinking she was good. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, I, and you know, I, you mentioned her daughters, Anastasia and Drizella. I feel sorry for them in the same way that I feel sorry for like children who are inevitably going to become like their creepy parents without some intervention. But Tremaine, Lady Tremaine is far smarter than her daughters are. She's far more streetwise. Yes. They're just, they're just obedient. Well, they don't really, they don't really have their own personalities. And so you feel sort of sorry for them because they're not really, they're, their own selves. No, I think one of the things that's really smart about this movie is, look, they're the ugly stepsisters, but mm-hmm. they're not that ugly, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not their looks that are keeping them from finding true love. It's their personality. It's the fact that they're spoiled. It's the fact mm-hmm. it's it's the fact that they're grasping and greedy and what have you. It's it's the personality behind the face that makes them ugly. Another another person with that face would be attractive. Exactly. I think that's interesting. I think that's a fair point. Um, There's a lot about these two that are just super fun um, too. But again, I I was like, when I watched it this time, I was thinking about our conversation that we had with uh, Huey, Dewey and Louie. And it's like, why do we need two of them? Right. Right. Why not one? But two seems to work better because, again, it rounds out the the three of Tremaine, Anastasia, and Drizella. Well, here's it's here's the reason there. Here's the reason why there needs to be two of them. You're right. There's no okay. distinct personality difference between them, and I also caught the Huey, Dewey, Louie of it all too. Mm-hmm. But with mm-hmm. the two of them, you realize that what unifies them as sisters is their hatred of Cinderella, and without mm. Cinderella present, they are rivals of each other. They, they fight with each other, and it's only when Cinderella comes in, like like when during the music lesson, uh, Drizella is ah, trying so to sing, smart, and Anastasia is trying to hit the, the flute. The, what's keeping this family together, uh, such as it is, is their hatred <laughs> of Cinderella as the other. And wow. left to their own devices, they would destroy each other. If it was just one mother and one daughter, they wouldn't mm. have that competition. As it is, Drizella and Anastasia are probably jockeying to be the favorite of Lady oh, Tremaine. Oh, for sure. And, for sure. And that competition, that competition is why there needs to be two of them. They fight over who's going to be the first person to get their foot in the shoe. That they're, they're they're Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. It's I so so I do think interesting point about Anastasia, uh, side little side piece of trivia. Her voice was so familiar to me. I tried so hard to figure out who who she was. Smurfette from the Smurf series. Stop it! Really, it's the same voice. I, I looked her up. Um, oh, wonderful! I believe the actress Lucille Bliss, who's done voices uh, up until her passing in 2012. She had a long career in voiceover act uh, acting. Uh, and acting in general, but specifically was the voice of Smurfette. And if you listen to Anastasia and you picture <laughs> Smurfette, it's there. It's there. Cool. I'll do that next time. Hey, so Lucifer is my favorite Disney animal villain. Uh, he is equally as awful as Lady Tremaine. 
And when Lucifer ruins Cinderella's floor, um, man, he just doesn't even care. And he sets up the moment, really, when the stepsisters rip apart the dress that the mice have toiled over, right? I mean, he is he is ab- ab- actively malignant, right? Uh, <laughs> he, he exists to make life worse for everyone. Uh, I, but if you name your cat after the devil, I guess <laughs> right. that's the pet you expect, right? Uh-huh. You know, that's, what I look at this so cat funny. and I think I want to name him Mephistopheles, <laughs> Beelzebub, <laughs> Satan. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. But, but he's irredeemable. And no. I wonder... If Cinderella had been able to come up with one good quality about Lucifer, if that would soften him, he waits mm. to hear it. He waits for that moment of praise. What if she actually could come up with something? Would that soften him towards her, even if it was undeserved? He does He does mm. seem to want to be pampered and and praised. And and sometimes sometimes you can win. And when when she says, "I'm sure there are good things about Lucifer," he smiles and he wants to hear it. He doesn't deserve to hear it. No, but again, if you're if if I can take on the mantle of jerk of the podcast for I, just a you? moment, I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> I mean, Lucifer kills mice, right? And so, like, do you really want a farm where? That is his good moment, his good thing, is that he He's takes useful. care of the mice population. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess that's something. I guess that's something. I mean, we have to love the mice, right? Because they're characters. But it, it, if you have a farm and you really don't want critters, you know, running around, that's the first thing you do is you get a cat or a Jack Russell Terrier or something that's going to take care of these mice for you. Yes. But but he's awful and reminds me like if oh, you told terrible. me Lucifer was the ancestor of the Cheshire Cat of Alice in Wonderland there there yes. is a resemblance there definitely a resemblance also a resemblance with Lady Tremaine in that they both narrow their eyes in the same way oh absolutely yeah so they definitely parallel characters to each other Fairy Godmother um la I don't know if you've seen the real Fairy Godmother it's an extra on the Disney Plus or on the DVD I guess if people still watch those I haven't um yeah so animator Ken O'Connor who's the art director for this movie um based this character on his wife Mary Alice and um she is like they, the couple lived in Burbank and she was just known for her benevolence and she would raise money for all these charities and was just sort of known in as the fairy godmother of Burbank. And so he drew her as if uh, they were having a really tough time, apparently coming up with, you know, what does the fairy godmother look like? What does she, does she look like Cinderella? Does she look like the opposite of Lady Tremaine? What does she look like? And so he based it on Mary Alice. He brings in a sketch. And and Ken did landscapes. He didn't really do characters. But he brings in the sketch, and Walt Disney says, that's it. That's our fairy godmother. So she comes out of nowhere. There's no exposition, no nothing. We don't expect her at all. No. she She's literally an angel um, working for the same company that Mary Poppins works for, right? Right. The only parallel we have in this if and this may be a reach with foreshadowing, but Cinderella does go rescue Gus from the cage. And 
in a way, the fairy godmother rescues Cinderella from this cage that she's in with Lady Tremaine and the stepsisters. So there's, you know, she does sort of the same things. They do sort of the same things, but she is an angel. She's the supernatural karmic force. And it's, um, it's interesting. She's not Cinderella's mother. When some versions of Cinderella's story, like Cinderella's mother, there was a tree planted on Cinderella's mother's grave, and the spirit mm-hmm. of Cinderella's mother gives her gives her the dress. This is a fairy. Right. This is a fairy godmother. It implies we all have one, but maybe we don't all actively ever meet our fairy godmothers mm-hmm. to a degree. And Cinderella's not really surprised by her. She's sort of like, oh, there she is, you know? I think the interesting thing that happens is, and it goes back to my Job analogy, is Cinderella says, now all my dreams have been crushed. I guess I can't believe in anything. And the fairy godmother says, if that were true, I couldn't be here. Right, right. right. Like, it was a test of faith to get you to this point, and now uh, something yeah. good is going to happen. Right, right. Um, oh, that sounds so good. I love that. Yeah. Actually, that might be the message I need right now. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, then I won't ruin it. I was about to ruin it. I won't ruin it. But but as a character, she's really more of a plot device than she is is a person who changes and grows. Um, One thing that I find interesting, and I don't know how you feel about it, when she turns the... Like, I'm with her. She makes the pumpkin into a coach. Some of the animals, when she's turning them into other animals or into people, are happy. The horse, for example, seems to be excited to be the coachman for the day. And the, and, right. the, and Bruno the dog seems to be happy to be the footman. Gus makes a run for it. He, he does. does not want to be turned into a horse. And she relentlessly pursues him and transforms him <laughs> into one. And I have trouble with that moment. It is only temporary. Um, You know, Jeannie does the same thing with Abu and the elephant, you know. That's right. That's right. But it does strike me as, you know, you're you're a benevolent force. Could could you maybe find something else that's going to give consent on this transformation? But the cool thing about Gus is he he's he's rewarded too because Lucifer's got him under a a cup and then all of a sudden he turns into a horse and oh by the way Lucifer and then he has the ability to scare Lucifer right. so that's kind of a little so he kind of gets a there. dream anyway no I'm with you that's right that's right that's right that, that's, that's um, fair. well let's talk about what the people living in the castle okay what about Prince Char what about Prince Charming not a character next. <laughs> We know he's bored by women. We know he's taken by Cinderella and he can't bear to see her leave and he's hunting her down. But he's not even really hunting her down. He sends an emissary to do it in the Grand Duke. Well, so, so. here is my thing. Here And here is mm-hmm. my, here is my, why I don't root for Cinderella to get with the prince. It has nothing to do with Cinderella and it has everything to do with the prince. Okay. Is Cinderella has had to endure so much hardship to get her dream and her ever after. And the mm-hmm. prince suffers Nothing. It is completely, it's not that she doesn't deserve him. For me, it is he does nothing to deserve her. Specifically, when it comes time to seek out his lady love, he delegates it. Right. The Duke goes to all those houses, not him. He doesn't do anything. 
I just think the movie would be better if the Grand Duke weren't sent as an emissary. If the if Prince Charming was out with the glass slipper looking himself. Or, or even, I think, I think it would, I think it would, I think it would raise the state. I mean, not that we need to like any more tension in that scene, um, but boy, wouldn't it be great if it were Prince Charming that was walking out the door? Now, it would take, it would take away from the tension because obviously he should recognize Cinderella. So, right. but, so an alternate oh, that's approach. That's true. There you go. An alternate okay. approach would be to see the prince suffering in the absence of Cinderella. Or to have a scene where mm. the prince says to the king, I'm, I met the love of my life. I'm sorry to disappoint you, father. I am never getting married. It is that woman or it is nothing. Or, right. or, or so, if he did anything, mm-hmm. anything, mm-hmm. if he suffered a little bit, but as it is, as it is, I am team Cinderella in this movie and I just think she can do better. I I don't know who. I keep I keep thinking. No, I keep thinking of that movie for whatever reason. I keep thinking of the old movie, The Women. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it is a movie with just women in it. And there are all these ancillary male characters that we hear about, or we think that maybe they're you know they're on the phone or whatever, but we never see them. And these women are whipping themselves into a frenzy to make this. Um, women, you know, to make, you know, them fall in love with her or whatever. It's just so crazy. And so I guess that was sort of the women don't do a whole lot in 1950 except fall in no, love. I know. This is like and the I, best I know, you got, you know? And I know that what I really want is for Aladdin to be living next door to Cinderella. Yeah. And to secretly be doing good <laughs> deeds for Cinderella to sneak her food when she needs food. She tells him not to steal. And he's like, he's like, mm-hmm. of course I won't steal, but he can't bear to see her suffer. And then mm-hmm. and that she gets the chance to live with the prince, but instead chooses Aladdin. That's my fan fiction. Somebody write it for me. <laughs> I love it. What about the king? Monster. I think he is too. I think he balances Lady Tremaine and that he's sort of a good villain. Uh, because but because without his want of grandchildren, there's no story, there's no ball, there's no he wants what's for the quote, you know, the good of his son, I guess. No, it's not even for but the good of his son. It's a good of him. It's he wants he, to be a kinda, grandfather. But he spins it. Yeah, he spins it all that way. Like, oh, this is just, it's time for him to take on his responsibilities and this and that. But man, he is. He uh, does not uh, deserve to get what he wants. No. And he gets everything that he wants. He try, like, I lose all patience for people who throw things and break things. And that he has a temper tantrum when the Grand Duke comes in and says, I'm sorry, she's disappeared. He pulls out his sword and chases the Grand Duke around. And I don't I don't think that's funny. I think that's murder. Right, right. Um, there is this kind of it's a, it's one thing if it's like cute little mice and cats doing this. It's another thing if it's human beings and a yeah, privileged human being. Oh, yeah. A person in power and authority. The Grand Duke can't defend himself, even if he was capable of defending himself. Legally, he cannot. And, and Right. And the test of a person's character is how they treat the people who are in subordinate positions to them. And the king treats his, his subordinate monstrously. 100%. I'm with you. Uh, don't like him. Nope, I don't either. 
Um, you know, he gets red. And I hope and Cinderella and the, the prince say, "We're not going to have any children <laughs> till you're dead." Right? <laughs> You'll never meet them. <laughs> That's probably too much. Uh, that may be too, too much. much. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. The Grand Duke um, is kind of oft overlooked, but he seems kind of funny to me, too. I mean, he has to pull off this ball in one day. And he does. At the whims of a king. And he does it. Um, so I like him. Yeah. I think he's in a hard I think he's in a hard position. I think it is. He has to please, he has to please somebody who can murder you. Yeah. I think it's funny how confident he is the prince will not fall in love with anyone, though. Like, you right, know right, right, something right. about the prince that, uh, that is like, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree here, your majesty. This is not how it works. But then, of course, we get the bit where the Grand Duke sort of becomes the narrator and describes exactly mm-hmm. what we're seeing as Prince Charming falls in love. He's sarcastically describing the action of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like what's not going to happen as it happens, right? Right, right. You know, he aromantically describes the romance that's in front of us. And I, I I, like that irony right there. Yeah, there's something about him that reminds me of um, Zazu in The Lion King, too. It's that, it's that. oh, here, this can't possibly happen. You're it's kind of spoiled. This is who you are. And what's going to happen to this? And what's going to happen to the monarchy, right? No, you're right. And that, uh, That's a great example. So, uh, and, and Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast reported yeah, in that same vein as well. For sure. For sure. We've already alluded to protagonist problems, Larry, but who do you think the protagonist of this movie might be? I mean, it's not Cinderella because she doesn't do anything. So I guess it's and she, it guess it's Jack and Gus. And really more Jack than Gus. And and I don't really I don't really care about them, Andy. It's not what I didn't sign on this movie to watch Tom right. and Jerry. I signed right. onto this movie to watch Cinderella. And we, we've had other movies where the protagonist function has been split. And we've been able to circle that square. Like with Pinocchio, you talked about mm-hmm. how maybe Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket are really two sides of the same person. And it's a way of Pinocchio to talk to himself in that. Movie. Right, right, right. But here, it isn't. They're not they're not even on screen together that much. I mean, it's not it, they're not going on the same journey Jack and Cinderella. And and I mean, I think I think I would make a case I know you keep saying Jack, but I think Gus really makes the bigger journey. He has the bigger change of circumstances. Has, he has he does. He he goes from it is rags to riches for him and so he starts out with nothing in a trap. And ends up at the castle with all the corn that he can eat and a great, you know. So he, he, and he has to do some acts of bravery where he, at first, Jack's the one who goes out to sort of, sort of uh, take on Lucifer. But eventually Gus becomes that person or the mouse or whatever. So I, I think this movie is about Gus as well. Um, and so... Uh, but again, it's two, I think this is two movies. I think there's Cinderella's story, and I think there's Gus and Jack's story, and I think the two are mixed in, and I think the, the, the nature of this omniscience, right, brings, it doesn't give us a good through line, it, unfortunately. And it all comes from that initial thing in the Manish Tanah that I talked about. We start the movie mm-hmm. too late, that they padded out with this mouse and cat business, and I'm not here for it. 
I'm not right. Careful. And again, I think it's a nature of the way that the movie was made in that it was divided. It was divide and conquer. And they create sort of two movies and marry them together. Yeah, I agree. As opposed to giving, as opposed to looking at this overarching story. If you turn that said, I absolutely love this movie. <laughs> if you turn the the mouse parts into the short before the movie, it kind of right. works better. In my opinion. Ooh. Oh, that's interesting. It's almost like a prologue. Yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. All right. Well, speaking of changes we want to make, or well, let's, let's pitch. Um, so there's Cinderella 2, Dreams Come True. I think I've seen that once. I've seen and parts Cinderella, of it. I didn't make it through. Uh, it, it is kind of like three different. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean. And then there's Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time, which is an interesting idea. And I think my daughters saw that a lot when they were little. Um, they were big Cinderella fans. At least one of them was. Um, so the idea that uh, Lady Tremaine gets the magic wand and smarter uh, makes <laughs> oh yeah it's because super, we actually see the fairy godmother has trouble finding her wand. So the idea that she's right. misplaced it actually planted in Cinderella one. Right, right, right. So it's a, it's a it's a really good uh, it's a really good what if I think. Yes. And then uh, there's a live action adaptation in 2015. What would we do with this source material, Larry? What would you do? Okay. Um, so the real issue with Cinderella is how do we get this to be a story that is about her? And if we can't mm-hmm. do that, we need to make it about somebody else. Um, and that's and that's really where where the sticking point for the movie for me is. Part of me wonders if what I would do instead of Cinderella is I would tell you know how in the Great Mouse Detective. Uh, yeah. The Great Mouse Detective lives in the house of Sherlock Holmes, but is yes. the Sherlock Holmes of mice. I wonder mm. if I want to go into the world of mice and find the Cinderella of the mice there, who's having her own parallel story to Cinderella. So, so Gusarella, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like you've been talking right. about how Gus has kind of kind of a rags to riches story. Um, but me, maybe like the fairy godmother turns around to one of the mice and grants her wish that night also. Mm. But but let's get her a little more active. Let's make that little mouse the one who's actually engaging with Lucifer and stealing cheese. Like she has perilous adventures, this female mouse, um, and does, does, is, is a hero, goes on a hero's journey, gets her heart's desire and her dream. I love it. I love what that. have you got for That's us, really, Andy? Uh, well, I I want to see Lady Tremaine become Lady Tremaine. I was thinking about this, but uh, there's a character dinner at Disney World where you can be with uh, Prince Charming and Cinderella, and they're okay. But the real star of that show is Lady Tremaine and the stepsisters, who are wonderfully wicked. And um, my daughters were incensed and gave it to them, and Lady Tremaine gave it right back. So maybe maybe we've had done this with Cruella and Maleficent. I don't know. Um, but I really want to see Lady Tremaine as this good girl that's gone bad. I want to see her lose her faith in the universe's power. I want to see her shun the services of the fairy godmother. I want to see her uh, become this person who just takes everything in control. And, uh, and maybe, 
I don't know. I don't know how that looks exactly, but uh, I want to. I definitely want to see her become. She's a real Jermaine person, sure. as, as a is. real villain, and of Disney villains, I think she's a smart pull to make a movie about mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you don't have. She's she's a round character. There are levels to what the performance she's giving in the Cinderella animated movie, and seeing how one hundred percent. I would rather see that than see um, the Evil Queen prequel uh, for Snow White. Because she's yeah, she's a one she's one note, right? Lady Tremaine has this kind of she wants things and she's subtle and she's manipulative and she's cruel and all of those things. So I kind of want to see her. How does somebody become that? Yes. No, I think that's good. By the way, folks at home, if you've got some spare time and, and some YouTubing to do, I heartily recommend you look up little boys giving glass slippers to the stepsisters at Disney World. The, oh my goodness. They, they, they come dressed, there's just all these little boys who come dressed as princes. They 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 pull out, <laughs> they they propose to the stepsisters all the time. The stepsisters come running over, like stepmother goes, and like one of the stepsisters will go, it's happening, it's finally happening. <laughs> it's it's so sweet and it's so wonderful. I... They they get so excited. Um, I I highly recommend it. Oh, it's a it's a great um, like I you know they're not they're not paying me to say this, but it really is the best. I think it's the best character meal at Disney for sure. Oh yeah. So, Larry, it's time to celebrate. We've reached the end of season one. I can't believe we did twenty episodes. I can't either. I thought, Mama, maybe we'll get a couple, whatever. But this just keeps getting better and better every time. I think. No, and I'm learning so much from doing this. I, same yeah yes yeah for sure i mean i think i i think my screenwriting's getting better i'm going oh what's the minishana oh what's this happening oh you know what would help here would be a little foil you know so i think it's been really fun and and i'm i'm glad it's i'm glad it's good for you too oh definitely definitely and i hope it's good for for you listener who's who's made it with us through 20 episodes well done to you my voice <laughs> is not easy to listen to for that long a period bravo and you've had and you've had to listen to me laugh incessantly so good deal and i'm glad we've got a chance to uh enjoy but we're going to take a little bit of a break um this is a great time for you to catch up on some episodes or maybe re-listen to some old favorites and hey if you like what you're hearing would you do us a favor would you share this podcast with another disney fan and i don't mean you just drop it into your you know whatever would you like I, I assume, I think that people maybe still have conversations with each other, but say, hey, you know what? I, I heard this podcast and it really means a lot to me. And I think maybe you'd like it. We are planning some big expansions for next season. So if you can think of it again, if you can think of anything that might improve this podcast, or you have some notes for us, check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page, tweet us at, at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6, or you can drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So until next season, friends. See you real soon. See you real soon.